All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for having me. My name is Darren, and I serve in an official capacity as the chairman of the Ironworks Westchester Fan Club. So I love being with you, and I consider it a, a great honor and a great joy. I'm going to read our sermon text. Uh, the text that you see printed in your worship guide is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. If you'd like to use a Bible, uh, that's where you can find the passage. Uh, would you listen now with open ears as I read these words from the book that we love? I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to this time and we sit under these words, and I recognize that as we come, uh, we do no doubt come from all kinds of different places. Uh, some of us come in here uh, filled with hope, uh, filled with thanksgiving. Others of us come here and uh, our hearts feel very dead. Uh, some of us come here with, with only the, the smallest shred of hope. And Lord, I recognize that others of us come here and we are filled with faith in you and trust in you and belief in you. And others of us, no doubt, are here um, not sure why we're here, not sure if you're real and if you are, if you're good. I pray, Lord, that whatever place we find ourselves in today, whether we are... Uh, in a place of hope or of despair, whether we are coming with faith or overcome with uh, doubts, I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, we do all ultimately come the same with an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, and to be changed by you. I pray that you would give us uh, the blessing of your very spirit this morning to do these things in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. And I am, I am someone who is very committed to what we call the Reformed faith. And if you're here and you don't know what that means, um, 
we basically trace our heritage back to the time of the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther nails 95 theses to the door, and then hence uh, Protestant tradition is born, and after that we have uh, folks who continue this work of reformation by which we get the word reformed Christianity. And I will tell you that I love being reformed. I love our tradition uh, very much, but I'm also a person who believes in being honest about the flaws that come with anything, right? And there's a certain flaw that comes with being Protestant that I think it's important that we acknowledge, that we don't pretend doesn't exist, that we don't hide. And that flaw is the fact that since the Protestant Reformation, according to one source I read on the internet, there are now 600 Protestant denominations that have since split off of each other. If you, you know, if you go look at the family tree of Christians, you'll see it, it's really wide and it goes really far. And I had a friend that I served with uh, at a church a number of years ago, really, really solid, smart person, and he was so disturbed by the disunity in the Protestant church. And he would cite these statistics to me over and over. Darren, there's 600 denominations and you know, all these kind of you know, different views on it, and he said, I just can't take it anymore. So he decided to go become Catholic, right? And Catholics don't have the, this problem, I mean, in, in the same way that we do, just to be honest, right? And I'll tell you that it was very difficult for me, um, it was very difficult for me when he be, decided to make this change in his family, um, and I said that to him, I said, you know, uh, his name was Jeremy, I said, Jeremy, I, I hear what you're saying, and I understand why you're saying it. I said, however, I want to challenge you. Tell me how your solution is an embodiment of Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. And he, he couldn't answer the question. Um, and I, I tell you that because this passage uh, that's, that I just read that's before us this morning, it is really the passage that speaks to this issue, in my experience, more than anything else. And, you know, uh, hopefully not too many of you are here, you know, tempted to walk down the street to Mass this morning. You know, I, I, hopefully that's not a, some existential issue. However, I wonder, how, how much in step are you uh, with your brothers and sisters in this room? Right? How, how much unity is present in your relationships in, in this church? Another way to look at it. How much, relation, how much unity is present in your marriage, if you're married, or with, with those you work with? You know, unity in relationships is something that I really think can't be overestimated, right? So, for example, Psalm 133.1 uh, celebrates this. It says, blessed, it's blessed when brothers dwell together in unity. It's a glorious thing. And, you know, if you've ever had someone who is really important to you, someone that you've really connected with, such as a spouse or a parent or a brother or a sister or a best friend or a church, if you've ever had a prolonged season of really being on opposite ends of things that are really important, you know that that can drive a wedge in your life unlike like few things compared to that. Right, so walking in disunity is a significant problem. And I'll tell you, I served uh, as a pastor for 11 years, and for those 11 years, um, we enjoyed really a, a really great sense, I think, of being on the same page as a church. And that happened really consistently right up until 
probably about April of 2020 when this new, all, this thing was all the rage. It was called COVID. So all, the, all people wanted to talk about was COVID and all these uh, other sort of like tangential things that came out of that. And I'll tell you that that was the most difficult season of my ministry because I, I watched best friends. There was, there was actually one, one pair of ladies who had been extremely close to each other and their friendship really to this day was severed over COVID, right? It exposed, there were, there were areas of deep disagreement that, you know, never were really something they talked about before. Those, those areas came to the surface and ultimately drove folks apart um, with ramifications even today. So I would say to you that you can't underestimate the value of unity in relationships. However, you have to arrive at it a certain way. So for example, you know, who are the most unified churches in the world? Does anyone know? Church that, it's actually not the Catholics, right? They kind of think they're unified, but if you talk to folks, there's still a fair dis, uh, difference of opinion on a lot of things. You know who the most unified people in the world are? It's the cults, right? <laughs> it's the cults. Like, if you, wanna, if you wanna find a church that's perfectly unified, like, you have to give up your Christianity to go do it, right? You know, it's uh, like uh, Creed on The Office said. He said, I've been a cult leader and a cult follower. <laughs> Anyway, you don't, want, you don't want to be either one, but, um, <laughs> but that's what you have to do. You know, if you've ever known someone who's been involved with Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons, right, there is like no variety there. If you've spoken to one person who's knocked on your door, you, you can go anywhere in the country and t t speak to someone else, and there's virtually no difference of opinion. Now, friends, that is not something at all that I think is, is in accordance with this passage or is God's heart or something that you want to be part of. So it, it begs the question then, well, how is it that a community of people, right? And I really want you to apply this to all of the relationships in your life that matter the most, right? Your family, your church, even people you work with. How is it that God would bring about a real and a good and a substantive unity in a community of people? And I'll tell you that, um, <laughs> you know, I've been... I've been a pastor and a congregant, right? So I've been on the, the side where I've been attempting to uh, bring folks into unity, and I've been on the side where I've been receiving the leadership of folks trying to bring people into unity. And I'll tell you that right off the bat, the first thing I would say to you, you know, having been in both of those perspectives, and I think what this passage will bring out is unity is not accomplished by one person saying, everyone agree with me, Okay? And I, I want you to hear that this morning. I am not saying that to you. Everyone agree with me. That's actually not how it happens. Um, I've never seen that work, uh, as I said, outside of the cults, and I don't really know how they do it. Um, but they have their ways. Those are, are not our ways. So how is it that people can learn to walk together over the things that matter the most, um, at, particularly as we walk with Jesus Christ? And so I want to walk through this passage and pull out... Um, I think the main points of its teaching and see if they will give us any instruction. The first thing that we noticed in verse one is that the response of unity is a direct response to being called by God, right? He says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. 
So you might know, if you, if you know the book of Ephesians, anyone memorize Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? Right? Does anyone, do people memorize scripture anymore? Right? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God that no one may boast. After that comes verse 10, right? For we were created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has prepared beforehand so that we might walk in them. Right? So when God breaks into your life and he says, I'm going to pour out, Paul uses the word lavish grace upon you so that you are completely forgiven, so that all of your sins are washed away, and so that you begin to change in your life to walk in certain good works that God has prepared beforehand that you walk in. Right? The idea is that God has a mission for each of us, and he has called and prepared good works for us to walk in. And Paul takes up this theme uh, one chapter later in the beginning of verse 4, and he says, the first area of business in walking with God is to walk in a certain way, in a way that pr- produces a kind of unity that cannot be faked. And so how do we go about in doing that? And the first thing that I'll highlight is that it takes a certain character. So look at verse 2. This is what he says. The first um, exhortation to unity says this, walk with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. And then he goes on to say, with an eagerness to maintain unity. So the very first ingredient in spiritual unity is humility. Now humility, I have, again, I've found that humility is something that is often misunderstood. I wanna ask you a question this morning. Have you grown in humility in the last year? Right, and how would you know? Well, one way you can know if you're married is to ask your spouse, right? <laughs> Am I, <laughs> I, I recommend you do it, right? Or ask your best friend, say, have I grown in humility? And the person might be like, I have no idea. I don't know. You still seem as arrogant as ever. I don't know. <laughs> so I want to give you some more, I want to give you some help on this, okay? Humility is not underestimating your strengths, Right? It is not underestimating your strengths. If, you're, if you've worked really hard at a craft, right? if you have skills that you employ and you get better at your craft, humility is not saying like, yeah, I don't, I don't do a good job at anything. That's not humility. That's, that's just fake news. That's fake assessment. Humility means that you begin to be more aware of others in your life and more interested in others in your life. So a great diagnostic question that you can ask, well, you know, your spouse, your best friend, your parents, you can say, you know, sweetheart, and don't answer this. <laughs> Have I been a better listener to you lately? Have I, be- you know, someone who's humble becomes a better listener. That's a great diagnostic question that you can take to the bank and ask the question, am I growing in humility? One of the key factors is you can ask those people you're around, how am I doing at listening to you? Do you feel heard? Or do you feel that I, that I have to work really hard to get your attention? Right? It's interesting because, you know, one of the most um, toxic uh, things in a person's life that will destroy unity is arrogance. And when you are walking in arrogance, you cannot be 
unified with another person. It's like you just, you can steamroll them, but you cannot have what this passage brings out, right? So am I growing in listening? Relatedly, verse two, it says humility that surfaces as um, really three other things, as gentleness, as patience, and something that bears with. And I want to uh, pull out this language of bearing with. What does it mean to bear with others? Well, the idea of bearing is really the idea of carrying, right? So, you know, part of the Darren, like, renewal plan 3.0 is that I've started CrossFit. Anyone do CrossFit? I know it's, like, kind of controversial. And these, we will, like, carry these kettlebells, like, around the parking lot and do all these weird things that I've never done before, right? And when you carry something, like, you know, it, it's hard, particularly for those of us who are out of shape, I can tell you. And give you the kilograms that we do, and it's hard. What this is saying is that when you walk with other people, and when you have the Spirit of God producing in you a certain kind of humility that says, I value you, how are you going to know if that's happening? Number one, listening. Number two, am I willing to carry the burden that results from being in relationship with you? Am I willing to bear with you as you try to figure things out as well? And I'll tell you that, you know, one of the, one of the hard things in church, um, you know, it's in ministry, there's a lot of difficult things. Um, and, you know, over my time, 11 years, I mean, I had folks come and go at the church. And I, and I didn't really get upset when, you know, folks would realize that, hey, like, this church isn't working for me. I mean, our, our approach to it was always you know, we want this church to work for you, and if it's not working for you, like, well, maybe I can help you find one that is, because if you're not going to be able to be, like, in fellowship in a way that you're growing and it's good for the church, like, that's okay. We're okay with that. Um, but, you know, one thing was difficult is that sometimes people leave really quickly, um, and without, you know, they just get very fed up, and it's like, I'm done. And my favorite thing is, just a, just a quick pastor tip for you, we'll see if Linda agrees, <laughs> is that sometimes you get an email, and one of the funniest, the fu- still my favorite language of emails is, you know, Darren, I hate your guts. You know, basically, that's the summary, right? It's all packed in Christianese, like, brother, you know, I've just been struggling, and, you know, and the one word that always gives it away, do you ever use this word, I will tell you, is, Darren, I've been prayerful. I have no idea what that means. Like, what does it mean to be prayerful? Like, you know, Darren, I hate your guts, and I've been prayerful about telling you that. <laughs> like, I'm like, listen, you know, I received that, but I just wonder if you would share with me what your prayers are like. <laughs> like, like, dear, like, dear Lord, like, like dear, you know, <laughs> I don't know what that, I don't know what that's like. So, I always, I've, I've come to, you know, and I could be a little bit more honest now that I'm not um, in the same position, but. You know, part of it is, is that, again, it's okay, for example, it's okay to leave a church, right? I've helped people do that, and I have had great relationships with people that have left churches that I were pastoring, and I still connect with, and I say, you know what, I recognize that you're at a good place, and that's totally fine. Um, but what's, what was difficult was um, when folks would leave very abruptly and with a lot of, with a lot of not this, Right? no bearing with, no gentleness, no patience, right? And sometimes I would, uh, re- I would basically act in the same way. So I'm not up here trying to say that, you know, this is one-sided. So how do we access this? How do we get this 
in our lives? And the answer actually, I believe, is in verse 4, right? So we want to be people that are humble. We want to be people that bear with. We want to be people that are patient. We want to be people who are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And what does he say? He says, verse 4, there is one body and one Spirit. Why is he saying that? Well, I think because the only way you can actually be changed in this way only way in your marriage, if you guys are going like that, the only way it can come about is through a real and authentic encounter with God's very Holy Spirit, right? And that's sort of, that, that, is, the, that is the secret sauce of Christianity, right? Is, you know, if you are not in fellowship with the Spirit, these things can't happen in your life in an authentic way. They just can't. And so what does it mean? Well, it means if I find myself you know, in a, in a steep disagreement with, with folks, which I have in the past, what are we to do? Answer, we are to, you know, not be prayerful, we are to go and pray, Holy Spirit, would you come into my life? Would you be at work in my life? Would you produce in me these fruits? Right, you know, it's, if, you, if you read through the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, um, you know, it really brings it out that the type of person described here is the type of person who has had a genuine and authentic and powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit. And that's where these things come, right? If you find yourself like, honey, if, if your spouse says to you, no, I don't feel heard this year, what are you to do about that? You are to get on your face before the Holy Spirit and you were to ask him to change you and then you follow up the next week, you follow up the next month, how am I doing? Am I changing? Do you feel heard? How's my patience going? So that's really, I think, the first thing is character. And that character can only come about through the Holy Spirit. You know, he, he goes into this uh, idea of oneness uh, in other things too. He says there's one body, which is the church, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. And so this word one is, is repeated over and over again. Because what Paul is trying to get through to our Protestant brains is that we're all part of one church, right? Methodists down the street, we are part of one church. Um, and, and it's, you know, again, as Protestants, sometimes that's difficult to appreciate. So that's our confession. We confess one faith, one church, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father. Now, is there anything else for us to consider as we are seeking to do this? And there is, I believe, and it's in that last paragraph that begins with verse 9. Verse, uh, beginning in verse 9 can be a little bit confusing. I'm going to start, I'm going to come back to it. I want to start in verse 11. So he goes in from this call to unity, this call to humility, uh, the faith that we confess being uh, repeated in the word one, and then he begins this discussion in verse 11. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints. For the work of ministry. And then he goes in to say this, um, look at verse 16. He says, the whole body, when it is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds up in love. And this is, I think, the other side of this, right? That how does it, how is a church become unified? According to the last paragraph here in our passage. And the answer is, a church becomes unified when every person discerns how it is God has gifted them and begins to serve out of that gifting. 
You know, and I think back to COVID in my, in my uh, history, in my story, is that, you know, one of the most difficult things about COVID for, for our church was that it made mission feel very difficult, right? It was like, we're not even allowed to, like, be in the room together to minister, and we had had, you know, fall festivals. We had all these things that we used to do on mission, and all of a sudden, everything came to a halt. Everyone was at home. People started having major disagreements with each other, and, you know, I, as I've coached pastors and, you know, I've walked with pastors and as I've served myself, the very best ingredient to a church to, to become unified is to focus as much as possible on the question of mission. What is the mission here? And how am I called to be part of it? And, you know, what's interesting is that in this passage, there's kind of like this, this, this compliment where he says, there's one faith, there's one Lord, there's one baptism, but on the opposite side, you know what there's many of? There's many gifts. Some of you are called to teach. Some of you are called to serve. Some of you are called to show hospitality. Some of you are called to exercise leadership. Some of you are called to clean the floor, right? And you, you, know, you can clean the floor in such a way that pr- progresses the mission that God is doing, and you can do that as an act of worship. And you know, Again, I, one of the, the biggest problems for a church is to, is to take our eyes off the ball of our neighbors outside, right? There's a word for it. It's called, if you, uh, if you ever read Jack Miller, he has a great word for it. This is what happens when a church loses its focus on mission. It's called becoming ingrown, right? He says there's a great book called Outgrowing the Ingrown Church. And I just want to tell you, I have experienced this before. This, you know, there's this podiatry uh, issue called an ingrown toenail. And I want to tell you, it's awful. I mean, I have a, on good authority, it, it's worse than childbirth, according to my wife. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, like, when I saw her, you know, go through that and I saw me go through this, I was like, I think they're about equal. <laughs> Super painful, right? And um, you don't want to be part of it, right? So yeah, so a church, though, becomes ingrown when it ceases to have as its focus the mission that God has called you to. And I love that this church is always seeking the good of the city, the good of the neighborhood. Who are we going to invite? How are we going to support evangelism? Right? And I want to exhort you that if you lean into that as much as possible, you will see a spiritual unity rise up and you know, that, that was, I think, actually the very hardest thing for us with COVID is that for COVID, we took our eye off the ball and we became ingrown for a season. And, you know, the way that God actually uh, brought us out of that was there was a couple families that just got so tired of it. They said, we're going to start a ministry to the underprivileged uh, Hispanic community, pr- predominantly Guatemalans. And it's ministry that is thriving today called Phoenixville Refuge. We'll have a Bible study of about 20 Spanish-speaking people in the church tonight up in Phoenixville. It's about 100 families participate in our monthly gathering. And that ministry, I mean, just started catching on fire in an organic way. Everyone started to come out and serve. How can I serve? How can I be part of this? And, you know, I really look at that, and, you know, it was a man named uh, Patrick Gallagher. You know, that God put his spirit on him rose him up as an organic leader who said, I'm sick, of, I'm sick of what's going on here, 
and we're going to take action. And I look back at that and I say, that was a work of God's spirit that continues to this day. So it's one of the most, um, I do think it's one of the most important uh, issues in church happiness is that you have to find out how you're gifted and then you need to serve in that gifting. And if you're here and you're saying, I don't know how I'm gifted, it's a great conversation to have with your pastor, with your elders to say, hey, let me go experiment. Let me, let me go try. I would tell folks this. I'd say, folks would come to me, you know, and I'll tell you that I was always of the perspective that I don't want to just fill a position, right? You know, there would be a time maybe when folks would come and be like, Darren, I'm new to the church. I want to serve. And before they'd say another word, I'd be, nursery. You know, <laughs> be like, I- I've heard enough, nursery, <laughs> right? But I actually never did that, right? Because I know that if you're not, if you're not gifted in a certain way, like, you're going to hurt the babies, you know, babies are important to me, so we don't want that. But no, if, if you're not gifted in a certain way, you're going to have a you're going to have a rough time. And you know, therefore, what we would what we would try to do is to say, well, let us explore how you might be gifted, and then let's try this out. You know, let's try hospitality team out and see if you enjoy that. And if you don't, let's let's try something else. So, if you're here and you're not serving, like, let me exhort you to um, try and discern. What has the Spirit given you to do in this church? Every single one of you has gifts. Every single one of you has a calling. Try to discern what that is, and if you're doing something that you, like, hate, go try something else. It's okay, right? It's, it's okay. Um, our goal is to see you thriving in your gifting. And you know what's interesting is that I love this promise. I want to kind of move towards closing here in verse uh, 13. He says, God's given these gifts, he's given these offices, uh, but these offices are only existing temporarily, like the prophets and shepherds and teachers, right? Temporarily, verse 13, it will conclude when? Until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then he goes on in verse 15 to say, when we speak truthfully in love, we grow up. We grow up into Christ. And friends, like as we, as we begin to be changed by this way, um, to live in this way, what will happen is that God will produce, according to verse 15, he will produce a kind of growth that is supernatural. And you know, it's interesting, um, as we move towards the Lord's table, you know, I'm reminded of that in this passage, I'm reminded of another writings of Paul in Philippians chapter two, when he actually describes the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to feast at this table and we are going to celebrate and drink and eat the work of Christ. And what is the work of Christ according to Philippians two? Well, it says Christ did not consider equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but what did he do? What was the work of Christ on our behalf for us? What is the summary of it in Philippians 2? He humbled himself. He lived out this passage. It says that he humbled himself, becoming obedient even to the point of death, even to death on a cross, and God responded to his activity by exalting him so that he would be the name above every names. And as we read this passage, as, we, as sometimes it seems so impossible to do, we can look at the activity of Christ for you and for me as he gives up, he lays down his position 
to be in unity with you, to move closer to you. And it's, you know, um, in the Westminster Confession, we, there's a whole concept called the union with Christ, that we have unity with him, and that it is accomplished by his spirit. And likewise, this kind of unity flows from that same union that we have with Christ. So thank you for having me. Let me pray for you, and we will come to the Lord's table after we uh, sing our, our song here. Father God, I do pray that you would uh, work in us a deep and a lasting and a rich unity. Lord, I pray that you would help us to uh, grow in our humility. I pray that you would transform us by your Spirit uh, so that we would live like this. Lord, I pray that you would help us to discern how we're gifted, to make us fruitful in our serving. And Lord, I pray for Ironworks Westchester. I pray this church would have a lasting and real and substantial and good impact on this city, both today um, and for as long as you tarry. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.